Before our guest arrives, we talk about the recent closure of Anchor Brewing and ponder if the writing may be on the wall for one of the many outside-owned breweries in Michigan. Cam from Trumer then joins us to chat about the new tap room, what brewing for Trumer is like under the Gambrinus brand, and what we can expect to see in the near future. Cam talks about his history in brewing and gives us a little lesson about the Trumer pills. You can watch us live Friday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, and Kick. Follow us on all three, as well as all of our other social medias. That's at Better on Draft, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Threads, and everything else that you can think of, we are on. Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's Better on Draft. Welcome, everybody. Let's try that again. 322 Better on Draft Podcast. My name is Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. We are live now on Facebook.com forward slash Better on Draft, Twitch.tv forward slash Better on Draft, and Kick.com forward slash Better on Draft. Come join us in the chat as we are live. We will be live each and every Friday night, 7.15, unless we are off like next week for the Summer Beer Festival. We will be there both Friday and Saturday. And October 4th, we will not be online because we will be offline doing a live show at Loaded Dice Brewery in their secret new brewery area. Uh, let's that go would be ra- August 4th? August 4th, yes. Not October 4th. Not October 4th, August 4th. That is correct. Uh, Dan, uh, why don't you tell me what you're drinking? I am drinking a Midnight Run coffee stout from 12 12 West here in Mesa. And Wendy, what do you have over there? I am drinking currently a tart strawberry M43 from Old Nation. And Nicholas, what do you got? Uh, I am drinking the Skadoosh. From the Alchemist. That is not a NA beer. Are we good to go? No, we're not good to go. I just push back when I'm taking my meds now to the morning. All so, right. So I'm not gonna let this. I'm not gonna let uh, Allegra uh, ruin my drinking. So you're you're not taking it with the beer, just like popping pills. Well, Allegra, I don't <laughs> think is is a pill. No, it, yeah, no, it, it's the 24 hour one too. So. <laughs> All right. So I said, the hell with it. I'm taking it in, in the mornings now. So I can live 12 hours without it. As I did mention, this is episode 322. Our guest will be coming in in about 10 minutes. Uh, so we're going to start off the show with the big news, obviously, of the week to go over before uh, the news segment, which we will talk about later. But everybody, obviously, everybody knows Anchor Brewing out in California. California's oldest brewery is now closed. I believe we've talked about them before on our show when we were discussing legacy brands, brands that kind of survived. This one, of course, kind of got pushed under the rug because of Sapporo USA purchasing them, which is one of the, I think that's the only brand in the U.S. that they currently own or owned. Um, There are a lot of people at the brewery that are not necessarily shocked. Um, They believe that once Sapporo purchased... uh, Anchor, there we go, uh, that it was kind of just going down. But I guess the question to I want to answer or ask to you guys, um, we have three brands in Michigan that currently have uh, investment from out of state or out of country investor. I should say out of country investors um, being founders being purchased by San Miguel. 
We have Bells being purchased by Kieran slash Lion. We have Atwater, which is purchased by Molson Coors. If we want to get into the weeds, obviously uh, Perrin, which is owned by Canarchy, which is owned by Monster. And of course, Shorts Heineken has a investment in Shorts, albeit only 19.99% uh, to be very, very specific. Um, so as we see these brands uh, like Anchor kind of uh, dissipate and die, is this something you could see within one of our local brands? Um, I'm going to pass it off to Dan first. Um, sure. I don't think so. I mean, when's the last time you had an Anchor beer? I probably Any of you. The, the episode that we had Molson Coors on. Christmas time. Yeah, Christmas so it's not a beer. Yeah. Everyone's not drinking an Anchor beer very often. The breweries you mentioned in Michigan, people drink on a regular basis. I can't remember the last time I saw Anchor in a store. Um, probably have it at Total Wine, but no one's out there searching like, oh, I got to have Anchor when there's a million other options. You know, it's adapt or get out of the way, and I think they didn't adapt. Well, you know... Um... Ken Schramm posted something on Facebook that it was kind of a long post about um, the state of the industry. And he kind of talks about how um, in the, in the craft beer industry, we're, they're constantly expected to create something new. Every other business, they're trying to keep things consistent and get followers, but those followers in the craft beer world are always like, what do you have that's new? They don't want to keep going back to the same one over and over again. So I, I think that has a lot to do with why we're seeing companies like Anchor going under. Well, you do have a point there. I think if you don't have a staple that's really good that stands out, and Sierra Nevada is a perfect example of that. Uh, people all over the country will drink Sierra Nevada all the time. You have to have a product that people want. Otherwise, you do have to keep innovating. Um, and that will put you under, I mean, no one's drinking a steam beer in 2023, but everyone will drink a pail from Sierra Nevada because it's been so good for 40 years. For just to answer the last, you know, the question last time I had anchor beer, uh, it's been a while since I last checked in on untapped. So this, during the time when I was checking in every beer, lo and behold, 2014 was the last time I had any beer by anchor brewing and it just so happens that they were at now the really the newly renamed pine knob music theater so interesting place to find that beer i, I know very 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 interesting especially when was that potentially brands, the the beer festival that you know what it's very very possible ken the one that we went to a number of years ago yeah, with the the, with the, parking, fav- the parking lot beer fest the parking lot one your favorite beer the pretzel beer by the way the word um, uh, honest to god <laughs> it, it may it may still be even worse than that coco shandy that's in my fridge uh, i can't yeah, wait till yeah. you get to drink that yeah me too um but you know with even if that was even if that was the beer fest that was probably what it is but if it was like in, in the actual music theater itself to go up against local brands like Rochester Mills, that probably would have been hard to hard for them because Rochester Mills is such a staple. You know, I'm not sure if they were really truly a staple in 2014, but they are definitely a staple now. There, as well as if you go to the other amphitheater in Sterling Heights, which is Freedom Hill, 
they have a they have a very strong presence there at Freedom Hill too. So one of my favorite summer one of my favorite summertime venues, Freedom Hill. So, but can it happen here in Michigan? I think. I mean, there's always I mean, never say never, but we've already seen some of the bigger ones kind of get not necessarily gobbled. I mean, gobbled up, but not to the point where they just shut shutter completely. They well, have. Here's here's what I would say to Dan's original point of, um, you know, we drink founders, we drink bells. Um, we when was the last time somebody here had an Atwater? Wendy's probably going to say Christmas or a week like ago. yesterday. <laughs> it was this actually morning. a couple of months. And when when were they supposed to be on the show? Because I went to the brewery to get beer. Uh, I think back in like April. Yeah, so it was but right you, at the beginning of summer. You also went because they were supposed to be on the show. You you didn't go because you wanted a dirty blonde or you wanted a purple gate pills. Like these are the kinds of things that I think you know somewhere like Atwater. Because to be honest. All those beers can be brewed somewhere else. There's there's nothing really that special about Atwater beer right now. Um, like they're it's good and consistent, but that's about it. So I think you could take an Atwater beer and go bore, build, go brew it at one of the you know thirty probably other breweries that Molson Coors has a, a hand in in the U.S. between their own and. Um, oddities, you know, they it could go get brewed at Blue Moon for all we know. Um, I was gonna say the, the last time I had Atwater, it was within the last year, and I'm pretty sure I had it at LCA during one of the two events that I have attended at LCA, which was AEW, yes, the wrestling show, or the Legends of RB concert that my wife and I went to. Both of them were, were we, we had the sweet tickets, and I believe they had Dirty Blonde at one of those. Pretty sure it was the AEW event, but yeah, that was the last time I I've had any Atwater of any kind. So almost so about a year ago. But is that because Atwater was probably the only option or the only craft option? I should say it was. It was definitely the only craft option. There was, I think, Miller at LCA. Light. Yeah, at LCA, I'm pretty pretty sure. That's are you talking about in the suites? Because I was there for Iron Maiden in October. They had I was actually impressed with the beer options. That we I mean, get don't there. get me wrong. I if I if I see Dirty Blonde versus Miller Lite, you bet your sweet ass I'm going for the Dirty Blonde in a heartbeat. I mean, that's just me. Whereas I can't my, remember the stout I was drinking there, but it was it wasn't Guinness. It was something local. I just can't remember off the top of my head. I was actually I mean, impressed with that arena. It's pretty nice. It, LCA is a very, very cool arena. And I think they definitely have made made a point to make sure that craft beer in Michigan, or at least in local, you know, the Tri-County, definitely gets a spot at the table and not just relying on the Miller Lights and the Molsons. Excuse yeah, me, of the world. Oh, um, yeah. Ford, Field, Ford Field, and I know... Um, America Park, I had to think of the baseball field, have always yeah. had a craftier option, too, for as long Section. as I can remember. America Kendo's. had a, uh, a craft beer craft. bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, That's but what I'm say, talking about. So does but LCA. The, yep. Yeah, for, say with Ford, Ford Field kind of does, but not not like 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 LCA or not like Comerica. I mean, I got one of the best seats in the, in the entire stadium because – the craft beer place is right behind my section, and me and Ken basically were hanging out there almost half of the game one time last season. <laughs> Honestly, though, the 
I, I think maybe it's the, the style of beer, but the, the craft beer section at Ford Field is something not to big. be lacking. Um, it is lacking. I feel like when they used to have just that little stand that was at the top of the um, your concourse, like where you go up the stairs, there used to be just this small little stand there. That yeah, would always yeah. have at least four different styles of beer. But now it's it's honestly like three hazies, one regular IPA, and that might be it. Like there, yeah. there really isn't much of a... Um, a choice, and that's not even me being like, oh my god, it's all IPAs, or oh my god, like, the, if if I walk up, I don't know how many times that I've gone up there, and I was like, screw this, I'm gonna go get a, a tall boy, a Miller Lite or something, because it's $4 yeah. cheaper, it, and I'm gonna just drink that. Yeah, it, do, it is, it does definitely leave something to be desired at Ford Field. Um, I will say that they have get, given uh, Old Nation one of the biggest spotlights out of all of the craft beers, because it is a uh, a title title brand at Ford Field, you constantly see advertising on all of the big boards across the entire field, like in like in the field area. So no matter where you're sitting, you're going to see uh, Old Nation pop up, and it's it, they definitely have gone all in on Old Nation with respect to advertising, and you you can get it anywhere within Ford Field. So they have definitely put all their chips into uh into the into them and why not because they talk about it all the time on the radio especially on you know where they ever you know play the games so they're going to they're going to get people to buy and they're going to get people to buy big and for it being such a good beer that there it'd be crazy of them not to do that I don't even know what they charge though. That's the one thing I don't know is how much they charge for. Are we talking pints of like M forty three? Yeah, M forty three. I don't know how much they charge. That's the one thing I don't know. In comparison to other stadiums, they're definitely a lot cheaper uh, on the board field. Yeah, both on not like maybe America, like Michigan stadiums, like Detroit stadiums uh, between LCA and Comerica, but at least from all the other places that uh, I've been, the options are all right and the prices aren't break your bank like i remember going to uh alamo dome we went to the alamo dome in oh, what a joke <laughs> um in january it was, and it was yeah san six, antonio 16 or 18 dollars for a 16 ounce can of budweiser um and it was and you cash couldn't only. find beer anywhere yeah yeah cash only you couldn't find beer anywhere you had to find an atm uh it was it, that was one of the biggest i was actually going to bring that up one of the biggest jokes i've ever seen um, if you remember, it might have been a year or two now, uh, Rob had an article about the arenas or the football stadiums that have the most expensive and the least expensive options. And I remember Detroit being pretty low. Um, I don't know about the football field here, but you can go to the baseball game, get decent beer, you know, like your Lagunitas, that sort of thing. And you get one of those bombers for 10 bucks. So it's a pretty good deal. But I remember Detroit being pretty low on that list, too, when it came to beer prices. Well, I mean, do they sell beer at the soccer games, Wendy? Yes. What's what's the price? Is it? You're muted. I hit the wrong button. Um, <laughs> like I'm brand new. Uh, Easter Market and Stroh's are the two. No, not Easter Market. Brew Detroit. Sorry. Okay. And yeah, Stroh's I was going yeah, to say Brew Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, Brew Detroit's got a Cerveza Del Rey that they have there, the camp and beer. And they also do um, Unstoppable, which is their 
the DCFC brand. Okay, that 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 makes sense. But the the prices aren't too bad. No, no, not at all. No, it's like I think seven dollars for a can. Is that what oh, they are right now? Yeah. Is it a is it a tall can? Yeah. I mean, oh, okay. It's, it's, it's a sixteen ounce. Okay, it's it's been a while since I was at last at a game. So. Yeah, and and the smaller cans, some of them you can get them even cheaper than that. It's it's between five and seven, depending on what it is. Yeah, I I, I mean I mean given that you know it's probably one of the cheaper sports experience. It, well, it is the cheaper sports experience in Detroit. You know, no one's gonna pay that cheap for a ticket and then expect to pay astronomical for beer. It's that's no, just, not at all. No, right. that's. You know, if you got to try and keep the price points within reason, if you're going to pay fifteen dollars for a for a match day ticket, you know, you gotta you gotta at least keep the beer, you know, food and drink down, you know, comparable. Yeah, the food options there are awesome too. The the food options if there's there any been, other reason yeah. for a game. It's the food because yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, the, the they've always had great food options at Keyworth Stadium, and oh, by the way, Ken. I believe our guest is here. Perfect. So, Why don't you bring him so, on in? Yeah, we'll we're going to bring him in. To the episode here. Yeah. And I literally, <laughs> he just messaged me. Is he here yet? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. The, the joys of, of live radio. Yeah, we are getting everything going. Cam. Hello. Welcome to the show. Yes. Hello. Did you Hopefully take? I'm not too hot. You are not too hot. Did you take a minute to grab a beer. Or are you drinking some water right now? Since oh, it's I knew it was thirty. I knew I was forgetting something. It's well, almost hundred degrees here today, so I'm gonna go get a beer real quick. I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Well, while he gets a beer, we will introduce a little bit more. So, uh, Camp is from Trumer, uh, which is part of the Gambrinus Group. Uh, if you guys remember our episode with Shiner. Uh, Shina was great enough to come onto the show. We reached out and we're like, you know, hey, we'd love to have Trumer on the show, uh, which we are excited to bring in Cam. Nope, didn't work. I was hoping it would uh, flow in perfectly. <laughs> he's still getting a beer. Uh, he's still oh, I'm back. There he is. Oh, there he is. Hey, 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 hey. All right, Cam, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us uh, tell us who you are and what you do for Trumer? Okay, so my name is Cameron Tyre. Um, I am the lead brewer at Trimmer Pilsner in Berkeley. Um, that generally equates to putting out fires kind of all the time. Um, I'm the guy that people go to when people need help. Um, I do a lot of procedure development and as you might imagine, procedures for us are pretty important because we only do the one beer, the Pilsner right now, and, um, there's nowhere to hide there. So it has to be the same every time or, or we're in trouble. So. Um, that's kind of the truncated version of it. And what are you drinking? I am drinking the uh, Zoe's Wrath Black IPA from Jackrabbit Brewing in West Sacramento. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you ran into some traffic, but we are glad mm-hmm. you are still here. You mentioned one thing regarding the the Trumer Pills that you guys do one beer, but you do it so well. Uh, I- so my, my first question to you is... Um, how does Trumer get consistency throughout all of the um, breweries around the world to where if I have a Trumer in the U.S., am I expecting to taste the exact same? Should I go to Europe? Should I go to Australia? Um, is that the case? And how do you guys manage that? Well, so just sort of inherently, our our beer is very slightly different from the beer in Austria. It's 
the same spec, but just the 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 fact that we're brewing it here and the fact that they're brewing it there, it's it's just going to taste a little bit different. Um, specifically in the U.S., which is more what I have um, knowledge of, like it's generally going to be the same if you're drinking it in Chicago, if you're drinking it in New York, if you're drinking it in in Arizona or uh, Nevada or where we are now in uh, California. Um, it's all going to taste the same. And a lot of that comes down to process and procedures. Um, we have everything very, very buttoned up, very tight. Um, the, the downside of that is when, if there's a deviation, it's, it's pretty apparent. So we can correct, correct that immediately. And then, um, if we need to do some blending, we can do some blending, but generally speaking, it's all pretty consistent, um, from the get go. Uh, our ingredients are all pretty consistent, you know, hops are a natural product, malt's a natural product, but we're able to, um, like blend batches of malt and, and, um, the hops generally don't vary that much from season to season. So if we need to make tweaks to our, uh, hop additions to, to bring our alphas where we want them to be, we can, we can do that. So when you get a beer from Austria versus the U S like what's the difference in the flavor profile? Like how would I be able to tell the difference if somebody brought this back from Europe versus one that you brewed out in Cali? I, I think probably freshness would be the big one. Um, obviously, it takes time to get over from Austria, but um, which I think was the, part of the original purpose of opening Trumer Berkeley in Berkeley um, was to be able to bring that that nice snappy Pilsner to a domestic audience and not have to worry about it being shipped across the ocean. Um, you know, COVID really screwed up uh, international shipping and. <laughs> trying to trying to ship a beer right now would be not fun. Um, it's still not great, but um, you know, being able to brew it here domestically makes it you know that much fresher when it when it actually hits your hand. So, before I pass it off to Wendy, I want to ask one more question because mm-hmm. I feel that Trumer is in an interesting space. We don't get it here in Michigan, uh, but they do go into a lot of major markets. Uh, that are yearning for these pills, these lagers, these crisp beers, especially when it's 110, 115 outside, um, and they're not looking for something like this King Titus Porter from Main Beer Company. Um, do you see Trumer um, in the market more against, like right now, obviously, since you're making just the one beer, more against like Pilsners, lagers, like the, the more national brands like Bud, Labatt, Molson, um cores or do you think you see yourself more in the the craft beer space as gambriness uh slash trumer is in the craft beer space so i think we kind of strike a balance of doing both um this is very inside baseball but there was um a period in time where when anheuser bush was bringing stella production over from from belgium to uh, the United States that there were, there was not a lot of Stella on the West coast and we were able to go in and, and fight for those handles and, and actually win some of them, which was very nice for us. Um, but on the flip side of that, I think, you know, the beer scene in the San Francisco Bay area and maybe more broadly California and maybe more broadly than that, the United States is um, really competitive. Like we're all friends and, you know, we just, one of our neighbors, uh, called us up and said, Hey, can I borrow 20 sleeves of cannons? And we were like, yeah, sure. No problem. And um, so we're all collaborators in that sort of sense, but we're still competitors in that there's a finite amount of beer people can drink. 
right? Um, I wish it weren't so, but so be it. Um, so we're, we're definitely still competitive with brands like Scrimshaw, brands like um, Sierra Nevada's Nooner, um, different ones like that. Maybe not so much like a Dovetail in Chicago, but um, places like that, we still definitely compete. So we're we're sort of straddling the line or have a, or, you know, a foot in both pools, so to speak. So I think Ken's done, right? Okay. So the questions that I have, um, I kind of want to get a little bit of background for people who might not know about Trimmer because we don't get it in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little background on the brewery and how, you're brewing an Austrian beer in Berkeley, California. So um, we opened the shop in 2003, I believe. Um, I wasn't there for that. I'm I'm 29 now, 29. So I wasn't there for that. But um, it's it's I don't know. It's sort of like. So we we license the brand from Terma Austria. We're owned by Shiner Bach, essentially. We're part of that Cambrinus family. And so um, our CEO of our company saw an opportunity for um, having a European-style beer in a domestic market and sort of leapt on that. And we've just kind of been running with it ever since. I love the website says... Normally you would import the beer, but you guys decided to import the brewery. I thought that was fun. Um, so run us through what you would do in a day at the brewery. So um, we do, in a typical day, we're doing 200 barrels worth of production. So that's 400 kegs. Um, we're doing four batches a day, uh, three days a week right now on our 50 barrel system. So we'll generally have the first mash-in going at about 5.30, 5.15. And then from there, we'll we'll do canning or kegging or bottling, sort of depending on, um, we have a regular production schedule, but just depending on what day of the week it is, we'll do one of those couple operations. We might do filtering. Um, it's really just kind of running around and make sure everyone's Everyone's getting lunch breaks. Everyone's getting, you know, um, not working themselves to death and and also making sure that our numbers are right. Our product is where we want it to be and that everything's happening in a timely manner. Um, and I pretty much do that for 10 hours and then go home. That's <laughs> a long day, though. Um, so how. I guess I'm trying to think. Oh, so it. I see that you are going to open a tap room soon. Yes. We, so that's part of why it was late today. We did a uh, water brew today. So we put water in the system for the first time today to make sure everything like worked and not everything worked, but it all works now. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a thing that's functioning and in, in part of my world now. Awesome. So are you guys going to stick with just the one beer? Or are you going to... So expand the horizons for the tap room. Yeah. So the goal, you know, I don't, I do a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff and I don't really have a lot of insight into sort of like the big picture corporate stuff, but as far as like, we're concerned in the tap room, like, yeah, we're going to do 
different things, but it's also important for us to to not stick with what we know, but to sort of have a good frame of reference. You know, our our Pilsner is very awarded. We have 18 international gold medals. Um, so if for us to turn around and say, okay, we're going to do a hazy IPA really wouldn't make a lot of sense for us. Right. Right. So it's, it's, you know, we're right now we're looking at doing traditional European styles and then there's the prospect of branching off from there. I know some of the guys I work with are very hot to trot on doing like weird stuff. Like I've heard, uh, like a pina colada Pilsner. I've heard somebody talk about like a coffee beer. Um, there's a lot of excitement in the shop right now. And I think that's not, that's not necessarily focused, uh, but we're trying to focus in terms of what's actually going out the door on um, traditional European lager styles right now. And the hope is that, or the the thought is that we will potentially expand beyond that, but that's, that's outside of sort of my scope and what, what I can keep track of essentially. So I'm just curious, has Trumer ever had a public tap room in the U S so we uh, used to have a small tasting room in the shop, um, in the brewery. There's an upstairs space that has like two drafts, two taps on it. And right, that's been closed for some time. It was really more like you could go in and taste the beer as part of a tour, but we haven't done tours for a very long time, not since I've been there. Um, so the answer is kind of. This is this what we're doing now is a really big departure from um, what we've done in the past where there's a kitchen now. So food's going to be a part of it. Um, And we're all we're all very excited about this, that we have this new way to sort of interact with the people who like our beer and the people around us and and, um, potentially different companies as well with collaborations. But um, that's probably getting a little too far forward there. So. So. What about you personally? What type of style of beer would you like to see? Um, gosh, so way back, way back in the day, uh, I did my internship at New Helvetia Brewing Company in Sacramento. And we had we were hosting the like welcome reception for the brewers, all the different brewers that were in town for the California Craft Beer Conference. And I did a tomato and basil goza way back in the day yeah a lot of eyebrows went up when i when i said that to yeah, other people yeah. as well yeah I, yeah yeah i i'm now you gotta now you have to talk a little bit about that now so basically we bought we we already made a goza the the brewery does like a like a lemon goza um every year i don't know if they still do it or not i've kind of been out of the scene but at the time we had a goza on tap and i was like all right how can we make this kind of weird and um, Sacramento is also known as Sacra Tomato because there's a lot of tomato agriculture in the area. So there's um, you can get these really delicious, wonderful heirloom tomatoes at the farmer's market pretty consistently. So we basically went and bought a flat of heirloom tomatoes and buzzed them in a blender and threw it in a bag and in a cheesecloth bag and threw that in a keg with some like basil leaves and basil buds. And just let it ride for a little bit and then um, put it on tap. And it was just really, really developed. The basil wasn't overwhelming, which I think a lot of herb beers can kind of be end up tasting like you're drinking potpourri. And and this wasn't like that. This was um, 
a little sweet and a little savory and balanced with the salinity of the goza with the the sort of juiciness of the tomato and just sort of had this basil backdrop running through it. And it, it's not my, my greatest achievements, but it's certainly one of the things I'm most proud of. So if we could find a way to do that again, I'd be very excited. All right. So I'm curious. Oh, sorry, Wendy, were you still? Oh, go ahead. All right. So I'm kind of curious because, you know, you're in the state of California. You have some really heavy hitters there as far as breweries go. Where does this beer stack up? Is this a beer people generally know about? Um, I personally never heard about it. I'm here in Arizona where we're melting. This would be a good style of beer to drink during this kind of weather. But, you know, I've never heard about this. But, you know, I know about Firestone Walker 805. You know, I know about the breweries, Kolsch, and beers in their Hellas, that style of beer. Yeah. Uh, where does this really match up with everyone who you're competing against? So we we have uh, the ability to distribute to sort of hot spots around. So we're currently in seven states, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Colorado, um, Illinois, and New York. So we have sort of this transcontinental reach with our product. But overall, our annual production, if, you know, if everything's plugging along, we'll do about 30,000 barrels, and that's not a ton. Um, so it's, if you've heard it, if you know, you know, right, to, to say what the kids are saying nowadays. But um, that's kind of it. You know, I, w- I wish we were in more states. I wish we had a broader reach. But at the same time, we have to, you know, we can't overextend ourselves and, and compromise on the procedures that make our beer as good as it is because it is a really good beer. And if we were to just throw caution to the wind and start, you know, just trying to pump numbers out, I I don't think we would do ourselves any favors with that. Well, yeah, we've been doing this a long time. We've seen plenty of breweries that overextended themselves and actually became their downfall. Um, Plus with 50 different states, 50 different laws, it makes it really difficult, you know, to try and expand. Um, I know that's not part of your thing there, but it does make it hard. Um, now, as far as the tap room goes, is it just going to be the one beer on tap when it opens? No, no. Um, I have a list of, I don't know what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say. So forgive me if I'm a little coy about some of this, but sure. I. Now, are uh, these beers you are brewing or are you bringing them in? No, what we're brewing. Them. You're brewing them. Okay. Yeah. So um, what we, what we did not want to do was have a spectrum of different variations of Trumer Pilsner. Um, we're in a very competitive scene where we're at. And if we just showed up with like, oh, we did, we did a, uh, a Pilsner with Citra and we did a Pilsner with Mosaic and we did a Pilsner with Sabro and we did a Pilsner with, um, some other top that smells like cat piss. Um, you know, I don't, (laughs) oh my God, that's not, I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) That's, that's not going to get us where we need to go. Um, so it's, it's important to us that we be able to sort of spread our wings enough to be, to be taken seriously um, in our, in our local market here. It's funny. You mentioned that there was years ago, I think it might've been even been before the show or right after it started, someone did a tap takeover. Uh, It was dark horse, a brewery called dark horse. And they were taking over like over a hundred taps, but they had like 97 versions of crooked tree and kind of, you can, back me up on well, it was, was it crooked tree or was it plead the fifth no, no it, it was, was crooked, crooked tree. tree it was it crooked was, tree okay 
it's their their standard IPA, and they brought a bunch of variants of that beer because that was their yeah that was their top selling beer, if I had to guess at that time. Because while Plead the Fifth was a big beer, um, their Barrel Age Plead the Fifth and all that fun stuff was uh, more limited release. So yeah, it was uh, Hopcat Detroit. It was before the show started. Um, so my guess was 2013, 2014. Uh, but yeah, they did that tap takeover and I, we still make fun of it to today's till this day, apparently. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a brewery up in the foothills, um, that did, they had 20 beers on tap and it was four to six variations of the same four to five beers. And it's just like the one that doesn't really tell me anything about what you're doing as a producer, because you know, you're, you're sort of drawing yourself into a box and trying to color in the lines. And that doesn't, that doesn't tell me what you're able to do from a creative perspective. And that doesn't tell me what you're able to do from a technical perspective, you know, brewing all these different styles of beer has different technical challenges with it. And if you just, if we just did the same, like 15 different shades of, of Trimmer Pilsner, people are going to laugh at us. So we wanted to not do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to name the brewery now because I'm not trying to promote someone else while we're talking to you. The coolest thing I've ever seen with variants like that, and they kind of had to do it because of the restrictions um, of all their beers that they could have. They had it on um, on cast coming out of a beer engine on nitro and trip, uh, traditional on CO2. So you could see the differences. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So that's something I wish more places would give a try because that is a good way to do variants. Um one thing, again, I want to ask you about the tap room. Since you're part of Gambrius, is there any chance of either brewing or bringing in things from, say, Spetzel, you know, getting that Shinerbach on tap or anything else that they offer? I think the way our, excuse me, I think the way our production license is set up, we're not strictly allowed to do that. I think whatever we sell has to be, quote, made by us. But that's sort of outside of the realm of, of what I'm able to speak to as the lead brewer. Um, I can certainly email somebody and figure something out, but um, there's, you know, I also don't think we want to bring other stuff in. I think we, as a shop want to show what we can do with our team here and not what Shiner can do in Texas. Uh, Sure. Oh, that makes total sense. I was just wondering because, you know, it gives you, especially if you could brew it, you know, if they were sharing the recipe because of the company, you know, and brewing it locally, it'd be a really cool idea. Like you see, for example, um, Yingling, is it in Texas, I believe? Kenya can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it's also brewed in Texas. It's not also just happening in Pennsylvania. So it's really kind of a cool thing there. It it is, it is brewed in Texas. It's brewed at one of the Molson Coors facilities um, Mm -hmm. compared to what that's, that's what Wendy Yingling told us on our episode with Yingling Brewery. Um, So yeah, that's, that's basically a full contract brew. So this is a little bit different because this is more akin to, for us here in Michigan, uh, Old Nation contracting Brew Detroit to brew M43 at Brew Detroit, um, just because all of their tanks in uh, Williamston, Williamston, yeah, Williamston, yep, um, that they were so filled with M43 that they couldn't brew anything else. So back to Dan. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more question here. I'm going to pass it to Nick. Um, what's the style of beer if you do start to deviate from the pills? What's something you want to have on a regular basis there? Well, you know, I'm being from the West Coast. I like hops. So if I had my choice, I would say a cold IPA. Um, 
but that's I'm not convinced that the style is going to stick around very long term. The cold um, IPA. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I was a really big fan of Brute IPA uh, back in the day. And um, that style came and went like a flash in the pan. Yep. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. Excellent, um, Nick. I'm going to pass it over to you. Right. If I if I may for a minute just go back. Oh, oh yeah, to, yeah, go yeah. for it. I want to go back to your question about what we get from Gambrinus, and yeah. I think I think for us being a smaller shop where we sort of lean on Gambrinus is for um, distribution resources. Like we wouldn't necessarily be able to distribute to New York or Chicago or um, these far off places without the support of Gambrinus, and. Um, also in just procuring ingredients. So we get all of our malt is from Europe. All of our hops are from Europe. Um, our water is obviously not from Europe. Uh, we ship in a proprietary yeast strain that we get from a bank in Germany. Um, so it's being able to lean on them for sort of the more macro industrial things is um, really where we see the advantage of being tied in with a company like that. And maybe to give you a more specific example, um, the cans were really scarce during the pandemic, right? And we, you know, we had some heartaches trying to get cans in, but for the most part, it was okay um, because we were able to to go to um, Papa Gambrinus and say, daddy, I need more cans. Uh, and we got them. So it worked out. Yeah, that's a great... Um connection to have though that works out really good it sounds like for you is this where you turn out all right yeah. um so, oh hold on wait a minute someone here wants to say hi come here buddy oh man all right this Ooh. is a weekly thing now what's yeah going it is on? because <laughs> i know his his bedtime is pushed out to eight o'clock here so uh so cam i wanted to switch gears a little bit let's talk a little bit about you because uh, oh, I Ken love was, you love that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite subject. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Ken was so cur- uh, courteous to share your LinkedIn profile with me, and I was kind of browsing through it. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. No. I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go. But um, it, 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 you went to Oregon State. Yes. You you did not necessarily, based on what your, your previous experiences are, you didn't start necessarily in beer. You started in food. And do you feel like that kind of experience kind of got you ready for, for beer, for the beer industry at all? Maybe specifically how it relates to me and how I learned how to make beer. Um, I um, want to make sure I phrase this correctly. So my home brewing career maybe started a little early. And I'll just leave that at that. Um, but that is, that's. Are, uh, we, are we talking pre-21? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. No, 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 no. Nobody, nobody said that. All right. Um, I mean, but, it's not our fault. They sell all the ingredients and all the equipment to do it. Look, I, mean, I was just really bad at making porridge. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, you only need to be 18, at least in Michigan, to to homebrew and brew beer. Uh, I well, I don't know anything about what the age limit on homebrewing uh alcohol is in California. I know when I was at Oregon State, we were very specific about um with the fermentation sciences club. We were very specific about we could sell wort that we brewed on a small system, the R&D system on campus, we could sell the wort, 
but you had to provide your own yeast because as soon as it hit yeast was introduced, it was then legally beer. And I'm putting big air quotes up here, but it was legally beer at that point. Um, and we couldn't sell that. So um, going back maybe to the original point is transitioning from cooking to brewing was very sort of natural because screwing around in a kitchen is very similar to getting to, to sort of cherry pick in a homebrew shop um, where it's like, oh, I have all these different options. What should I get? Should I, should I get the filet? Should I do chicken? Should I do fish? Should I do that? Should I do a Berliner Weiss? Should I do a steam beer? Should I do a Weizenbach? Should I do a cold IPA? Cold IPA wasn't a thing at the time, but you get what I mean. Um, so in, in that sense, it was a very natural transition for me to say, okay, I'm going to cook food to, okay, I'm going to cook barley and then take the water that comes from that and then put some yeast in it and let it hang out for a while. And then it's going to be beer. Um, I also think that gives me sort of a more nuanced perspective with doing things like a tomato and basil goza and adding fruits or spices or this or that, and that you already sort of have a background in what, what a good example of this ingredient is supposed to look like. Um, I'm not going to poo-poo on anybody who does like aseptic purees, but I think you get a broader, richer is probably the wrong term, but you get a more nuanced flavor out of doing like a whole fruit versus an aseptic puree. Um, just because the very nature of an aseptic puree is they're taking a lot of stuff, um, and sort of shooting for like a speck and blending it all together. And that's fine if that's, you know, you want to do like an apricot beer, that's fine. But if you want to say, okay, I'm doing a Sacramento or Foothill apricot beer, or I'm going to do like a Michigan cherry beer, you know, you don't necessarily want to do like an aseptic puree just because the, the things that make that ingredient special are inherently lost in the aseptic puree preparation process. Okay. All right. Um, sticking with you for a moment, mm -hmm. continuing. You talked about being a home brewer. Do you recall what your first home brew was and was it any good? Because that's always a question that I always like asking. It was the a first out. Go ahead. It was a Marzen and it okay. sucked. It was terrible. <laughs> this was this was before I had bothered to pick up a book on it. It was all oh. like a lot of YouTube videos of like, yeah, you add the yeast and then you you let it sit. And if you put it in a closet, it'll be fine. Well, it turns out you can't do that with Marzins because that's a lager style. So I stuck this, I stuck this all extract three gallon patch in a Homer, like a Home Depot Homer bucket. That's not food grade and put a lager yeast in it and let it sit in my dad's wine cellar for like two weeks. And it tasted like socks and plastic bucket. And it was terrible. And we've grown a lot since then. Um, but that's, you know, it's when, when children learn to walk, they fall over sometimes. Uh, and that was one of my, one of my tipping points. And, and, you know, we've, I've picked myself up and we've been trucking on ever since. Still have not homebrewed anything myself, nor have I ever been part of any of the brewing efforts that the three of these guys with me, um, and even our previous co-host Rob still haven't done that. So, um, I'm just going to stick with what I know and that's just buying the beer. So that's, I know, I know where I sit in, in the, in the brewing world at least. So uh, I think, I think that makes 
almost works better for being in the environment where you're at, because I think a lot of homebrewers get sort of lost in the sauce of being able to do sort of whatever they want, whenever they want and not have to worry about like, oh, is this going to sell? Is this going to do this? Is, does this style matter? Is somebody going to look at my label on the shelf and be like, oh, yes, that. And, um, you know, so I, I think it um, I find a lot of homebrewers tend to sort of get these wild ideas about what the realities of brewing are. Um, and we've definitely hired homebrewers in the past to come take the jump to being a pro brewer. Um, it's not it's not a requirement to being a brewer at really at all. Um, if you want to come in and work hard and, and learn, then, you know, I can teach you beer. I can't teach you how to work hard. I think that that statement right there, I think that kind of just says it right for everything, not just in, you know, that's, that's kind of how I would take it for across the board, but you know, we've had so many people on the show in the past that yes, you can, you can brew the best, but you also have to put the work in, which means cleaning the tanks, mm-hmm. sterilizing, you know, doing all that stuff, the stuff that people don't really talk about, or that that's not sexy, if you will, they think the, the sexy part is the liquid itself. Uh, it, you know, that stuff kind of goes into qual- making a quality beer and what you just said kind of hit the nail on the head, at least in my opinion, that hit the nail on the head. So um, I'm going to turn this over to Ken. Or can I turn it over to you? Are yeah, you, you can. You can. Um, All right. Uh, Cam, there's been some big news in the country and the world of craft beer. Uh, you are right into the neighborhood of that with the closing of Anchor. We talked about it earlier on the show. Um, obviously, I'm sure you may talk to other brewers and other uh, business owners out there. What's just the feeling that you guys are having with the the closing? Is it sadness? Is it um, shock? Like, what's what's going on in your guys' head with the current uh, situation of it? Um. I don't know. I want to be very delicate in how I phrase this. Um, the, the body is still warm, so to speak. So I don't want to um, hurt anybody's feelings. I know I really enjoy Anchor Steam. Um, one of the beers that I did most often when I was homebrewing was a steam beer. Um, and it was really good. So I hope we get to do it again. Um, but the flip side of that is is when you when you do the thing that you're known for and it doesn't really change, eventually people get bored. Um, and I think, I feel like that's what happened to anchor steam. Um, I don't have insight or any special wisdom about, you know, their financials. Um, obviously the Sapporo acquisition was a big deal. Obviously the unionization was a big deal for their company. Um, but I don't have any specific insights on to how that happened. Pivoting um, a little bit to maybe more of the fanboy thing. I think the anchor steam beer was really important for craft beer as a whole. And for our scene out here in the Bay area and um, really beer, maybe overall in the country. Um, It was a really good beer. Um, I do a little bit of uh, cruising like on cruise ships. And for whatever reason, I always saw anchor steam on beer lists um, abroad and on these cruise ships. So I, I don't know that. I don't know that it was a distribution thing, so to speak. Um, but overall, it's just kind of a bummer. It's kind of like, 
when you're, you know, childhood friends with somebody in grade school and they move away. Um, it's kind of like that, like you don't have that, that comfort beer anymore. Um, that's, I don't know. I don't know that I could put it in a more refined point than that. Everybody's still kind of just like trying to figure out which way's up and everyone's a little sad about it. Ken, you're muted. A lot of breweries. <laughs> Three years later, Ken. <laughs> especially big ones that uh, meant something to us. Like Anchor, we were talking about it in the show. Like, I feel like your or Callie's anchor would be if something happened to Bells here in the U.S. where Bells were to actually literally go away. Um, and it's just one of those like, you know, what if, what could, what you know, I personally hope that uh, because Sapporo's got a um, brewery out in La Crosse, Wisconsin, that mm-hmm. maybe they might do something over there with the brand because they still own the recipes. They still own the brand. Um, so, you know, there's I think a lot of people once it it shouldn't come back. A lot of people might be like, oh, hey, I remember this. I don't want it to go away again. I'm going to buy it again. Um we saw it here with what's what's the brand under Superflu Arcadia. Arcadia went away here in Michigan for a while, and a lot of people, as it came back, uh, they were excited, happy to see it, and they were wondering because now Shorts brews it. Um, and sure, it's not the exact same beer, but I think we might we might see the same thing here with a lot of not here in Michigan, but um, in general with a lot of breweries. I want to uh, go back to happiness. Uh, before we go into our final questions, can you give us some information of what the celebration of craft beer is that Trumer hosts every year? Yeah. So way back in the day, really before my time, there was an industry rag called Celebration of Craft. Um, it was on a broadsheet and printed format. And uh, we still have a couple copies hanging around the shop in various places. Um it was almost like if um, God, I'm trying to think of it. If it's it, generically speaking, a uh, beer website was in a uh, print format, you know, back when people still did print media, um, that event celebration of craft was their annual hurrah, their annual anniversary party that we hosted in our warehouse um, in Berkeley. And eventually the date moved around a little bit and um, the print magazine no longer exists, but the event still exists. So we do a basically grand hurrah uh, cap uh, capstone to San Francisco Beer Week by having this celebration of craft party and um we have a lot of people out a lot of the um beer nerds and brewers uh are aware of the provenance of the event and sort of um what it means to the san francisco beer community so they bring their really a game and a lot of interesting stuff um there were a lot of good loggers this this past go around there were also like barrel aged things. There were imperial things. There were a lot of hazies, which, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily enjoy hazies, but, uh, everybody brought their a game and it was a really fun time for everybody. 
That sounds like a, a blast. Is it just beer? Although it's celebration of craft beer, do you guys bring in mead, cider, wine, any other types of fermented beverages? I I don't think we do. Um, I know there were some seltzers there this last go around, but I think um, it's not that we have anything against meads or ciders or wines or anything like that. It's that it's, it's San Francisco Beer Week. Um, beer being the operative word. Um, so everybody wants to bring something that's sort of in that same vein. Um, so it's it's not necessarily something where we'd be like, oh, no, you can't bring that. It's just that sort of it'd be like wearing a, a tutu to a square dance. That's sort of just the wrong getup. All right. Well, as we end the show, we all go through one final question, let you uh, promote what's coming up over at Trumer. Dan. All right. So you mentioned the Marzen uh, when you first when you first started homebrewing. What's another style of beer that you would never want to brew again? I don't I don't have a good answer for that, because what I what I did homebrewing were all styles I was naturally sort of attracted to. So like we did like uh like a 12%, I called it a super quad Belgian ale with a lot of brown sugar and a lot of molasses in it. Um, and that aged for a long time and it was really good. We did a um we did a, a wheat beer with apricots um that we stole from a, a germplasm facility at UC Davis. Um, they basically grow these obscure cultivars of fruit to sort of keep the gene alive. And then just this fruits just hang out on these trees. So we effectively stole all this fruit and threw it into a beer with this yeast that uh, one of the guys I was brewing with, who was maybe more into the intellectual scientific aspect of it. We, he basically went around his yard swap following a honeybee and swabbing all the flowers that this bee landed on and by the grace of God, we managed to come up with this really interesting yeast that was kind of acidic, but not like out of this world. Um, and it made a really good wheat beer. So um, this is a long way of saying that I don't I don't tend to brew beers that I don't want to make again. I always want to make it again and just sort of improve on the process. And, OK, we screwed up here, here and here. How can we avoid that? OK, let's not do that next time and then do it again and not make those mistakes. Fair enough. Nick, what's your final question? All right. You mentioned it's 100 degrees there in California. Outside of what you're drinking right now, we got the big, we got another hot weekend coming up, I'm sure. Uh, What else are you drinking tonight or this weekend? I am. Where am I? Oh, boy. I got too many tabs open. Um, I am drinking uh, this Portuguese wine called Vino Verde, V-I-N-H-O-V-E-R-D-E. It's a it's a sort of lower alcohol, slightly effervescent white wine that you serve very cold. Um, and it is uh, delicious. Um, I'm also probably going to drink some Trumer, but I'll probably put a little lemonade in it. Um, and if I'm really going wild, I will put a little bit of gin in it as well to make sort of a, a botanical shandy, if you will, um, with ice in it. Don't people sleep on putting ice in, um, in beer based beverages, but 
you know, that's the norm in Southeast Asia where it's a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity all the time. So if that's what's enjoyable for you, go for it. We always say here, if you like it, it's a good beer. One of my uh, former uh, teammates in bowling would ice down his Miller High Life. And uh, you know what? If the, I, I think it slowed him down from drinking. I think that's the reason why he did it, um, because it really chilled the beer. Uh, my final question for you, um, as you are beginning to experiment, create all of these amazing beers, uh, what is a barrel you want to get your hands on i i may have played my hand a little early here with the reference to a botanical shandy earlier but i would really like to do uh a gin barrel pilsner um i think there's a lot of i think there's a lot of room in pilsner specifically for non-traditional flavors um which does not mean to say that i want to throw a bunch of juniper branches into my beer um, but there's also a lot of cool distilleries around us here. Like, uh, St. George is a big one out on Alameda Island. Um, we did a promotion not terribly long ago with Frenette Branca. Um, it's this sort of aggressive Amaro. Um, it's not for everybody, but if you've done food service, you know what Frenette Branca is. Um, and there have been wild discussions about, um, potentially getting a Fernet Bronca barrel and putting Trumer Pilsner in it. That's actually surprising that you wanted to put the, the Trumer Pils in there. I was hoping maybe it might've been something that you were concocting in your head, just a regular beer, not a right. You know what I mean by regular beer, not true. I, I, I do know what you mean. I know what you mean, but at the same time, um, we're so new into this sort of whole pilot plant adventure that um, I, like it'd be if I said, okay, I want to put this uh, Weizenbach into a raspberry liqueur cask or into an eau de vie cask or something like that, or um, a sherry cask, a PX sherry cask, which is very popular now. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily know where I was going with it. And I have enough familiarity with Trumer as a consumer, but also as a producer of it to know, okay, this like, it's almost like a blank canvas in that I know where I know where the lines are with that. And I can, I can color and shade and, and add texture in all these different places where I maybe don't necessarily have that experience with like a Marzen or um, a cold IPA or something like that. Well, Cam, where can we find your beer and where can we find Trumer? Give us the the rundown online, offline. Where can we find you guys? So we are uh, at 1404 4th Street in Berkeley, California. We're just off the Gilman exit on I-80. Um, as far as distribution goes, uh, that's a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. But as I mentioned earlier, we are in seven states. Um, we're, we're around and you can find us, <laughs> which is probably an unsatisfactory answer for our marketing people. Uh, but that's the one I got. Um, yep. Seven States, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Colorado, Illinois, and New York. Um, look for us. We're in a white can. Um, it stands out nice on the shelf. Uh, we are at, uh, Oracle arena, um, excuse me, Oracle park, the baseball stadium for the giants. We're at PayPal park, um, for the San Jose earthquakes. 
Um, those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. Um, look around for us. You'll find us. That is going to do it. Episode 322 of the Better on Draft podcast. You can find us live Friday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv forward slash better on draft, facebook.com forward slash better on draft, and kick.com forward slash better on draft. Of course, all of our social medias, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, untapped, Twitter, all better on draft. Nick. Yeah. Take it away. <laughs> Take what away? You might oh I'm closing the show. You're out, closing right? the show, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I forgot this. I'm just kidding. Wow, everybody got really concerned all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, this this, damn, this is this is right Nick's now. final show, Cam. He's been yeah, this doing is my this final for show. Nearly eight years. Well then send it. You know, I did so I did uh a morning <laughs> talk show at Sonoma State University for like a couple months. So uh just send it. It it's on the internet. It doesn't matter. Just go for it. And Start to do the first line for me, please. Because it's this is that's always been your tagline. No matter what you. you think of you think your beer. beer, it's better on draft. Good night, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>